Omajana Trimananda Shajada Jana Salakaya Chakshon Militanyin it as my Sri Guru Vinamaha. So good evening everyone. Thanks for coming. We will continue our discussion of Srila Jiva Goswami's Satsandarbas. We are having discourse on the Bhagavat Sandarbha, and we will continue tonight where we left off last week. We have now made it up to the fifth Anucheda. So we'll find tonight that uh, this fifth Anucheda is dealing with the manifestation of the absolute reality as Brahman. At this point, Jiva Goswami is entering deeper and deeper into an explanation of the Vedanti Tat verse from the Bhagavatam, 1 to 11. Vedanti Tat Tat Bhavidas Tat Bham Yaj Jaramadvayam Prameti Paramatmeti Bhagavan Iti Samjate. So he's beginning by explaining. Brahman. In the last Anucheda, he made a point of letting us know that when we speak of Brahman, we're speaking of an aspect of the absolute truth. But there's this is Narayan, this is Bhagavan, this is the supreme personality of Godhead. But all of these different nomenclatures and different goals uh, are manifest to the spiritual practitioner in accordance with their aspirations and their worship. It's not that they are different, Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan, although for the Bhakta, there's a vast difference, but when we look to these nomenclatures, this verse, Vedanti tat tat vidas tat vamyaj janamad vayam, this non-dual supreme absolute consciousness is approached differently with different spiritual aspirations, so the worship is different from one class of transcendentalists to another. But there's still, all these approaches are, are aiming at one supreme absolute. So we begin, we begin this evening with this fifth Anucheda. Well, it's a discussion. You have to understand that Jiva Goswami's approach is one of discourse. So... He's putting forth a spiritual concept in an, and he's broken up these spiritual spiritual concepts that he's presented to us, presenting to us into sections. So he'll deal with one thing and that's an anucheta. So one aspect. And he's supporting them all from the, from the Bhagavatam. Primarily from the Bhagavatam, but also from other bhakti-shastras and specifically uh, Puranas that are 
above the gunas, mm -hmm. because some Puranas only deal with gunas. The Sandarvas are really just really exposing the Bhagavatam. Primarily, yes. And specifically, according to his time and his presentation, the Bhagavatam and the commentary on the Bhagavatam by Sridhar Swami. Mm -hmm. So that's his main praman or evidence that he uses to make his points. So this fifth Anacheda, absolute reality manifests in three aspects. So we'll read a little of the Anucheda. And what he's going to touch upon in this fifth Anucheda is the cities. For a spiritual practitioner, there's general <laughs> aspirations. They want to acquire a spiritual position. Now, according to how we approach the Supreme Absolute, and the concept that we hold dear in our heart for attaining, we attain, we attain spiritual qualification. And that spiritual qualification is manifest in cities or perfections. And this Anacheda tonight is very, very interesting because what's going to be shown through the verses of the Bhagavatam that are used to bring out the points that Jiva is trying to convey is that these cities correspond with, with the aspirations of the spiritual practitioners. So the cities that are attained by those that are aspiring for Brahman realization are, are, are a little different from those that, uh, who are aspiring for Paramatma realization and are different from those that are aspired to for one who is seeking unalloyed devotion to Bhagavan. We'll read a little from uh, Jiva's Anucheta directly and then we'll get into some discourse. Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan are also described in the section of Srimad Bhagavatam that deals with city, paranormal powers, or psycho-spiritual attainments. So we're going to get into the into the uh, powers of spiritual life a little bit here this evening. Then, from his opening statement, Srila Jiva Goswami quotes three slokas from the Srimad Bhagavatam's 11th canto, and they deal with all three of the attainments for Brahmati, Paramatmati, and Bhagavan. One who fixes his consciousness on Vishnu, Bhagavan, of the three, and the embodiment of time, acquires the paranormal power of controlling other embodied beings, their material bodies, and their bodily designations. He quotes the next sloka. The yogi who fixes his mind on my form as Narayan, known as the fourth dimension of being, Tariya, and inclusive of all opulences, Bhagavan becomes endowed with my nature and thus acquires the perfection called Vasita, the power of freedom from the influence of the gunas. One who fixes his pure mind on me in my manifestation as unqualified Brahman obtains the supreme bliss wherein all desires come to an end. 
So Sridhar Swami explains. So he's using Sridhar Swami's commentary on these verses. And he's using that as his praman regarding these cities and how these cities are attained specifically for the three qualifications of worshippers of the Absolute. Vishnu is Tri-Adishwar, Bhagavan of the three. That is the controller of Maya, which is composed of the three gunas. Therefore he is Kala-Vigraha, the embodiment of time, meaning he is the witness, or the indwelling supreme eminent Antaryami. Tariyaka, known as the fourth dimension of being, is explained in the following verse. Virat, Hiranyagarbha, and Karana are the three limiting adjuncts, upadis, of God in his capacity as the supreme eminent. But he who is free from these is called Tariya, the fourth dimension, or in other words, the supreme transcendence. Let's look at the verses and try to pull out what exactly Jiva Goswami is trying to convey to us. So he's taking these three verses from the Bhagavatam and he's saying these verses talk about spiritual perfections that are attained according to the method of worship and the aspiration of the worshiper. So let's look at the first verse. The first verse is talking about meditation on Paramatma. And it yields isata. Yogis can control material nature's functions and the living beings under her control and their bodily designations. This does not mean that they have the ability to create and destroy cosmos. Only Bhagavan can do that. So it's a limited city. But they can control other living entities. And the de bodily designations that other living entities acquire, they become that powerful by their perfection and their worship of Paramatma. Now, just think of what we've heard from the Bhagavatam. And what do we hear? What kind of control do some of these living yogis have. They give people other bodies. All of a sudden, you if you offend one, like a Brahmin, what can happen to you? You can become a lizard in a well because you gave him a cow and then took it back and gave it to another. Or, if you're performing a sacrifice and you offend what to speak of somebody as powerful as Lord Shiva, you could get a half body. You could have a human body on one half and what was it, a goat body on the other. So this is how powerful these yogis become who worship Paramatma. That's what's being spoken of <laughs> in this one verse where the city is being relayed from the 11th canto. The first verse is about those that worship Paramatma and this, this city that they acquire. Would that be Srini, the, the son of, um, you know, the one that cursed Maharaj Pariksit? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, he's controlling his body. He's he's giving him a curse. Yes. Living beings that are under the control of material nature can be brought under the control of a specific jiva who has perfected himself. But that doesn't give the yogi the power to create his own universe. That can only be done by Paramatma, Bhagavan. Just a note, uh, this is done as far as the creation of a, a cosmos is done by the Paramatma feature of the Supreme and his control of a cosmos is looked upon as the Lord's personification and control of time. And Krishna mentions that twice in the Bhagavad Gita, time I am and of controllers I am time. Let's talk about the next verse of the three from the 11th canto. Meditation on Sri Narayan, Bhagavan, yields Vasita. One can remain free from the influence of gunas or of the sense objects. Narayan is called Tariya beyond all Upadis. Now we went over this pretty deeply last week when we discussed, well actually just on Saturday we, we were discussing uh, an understanding of the Paramatma feature of the Supreme Absolute. So in the Paramatma feature, it appears that the Paramatma feature has a limiting adjunct, Upadi, for his activities. His influence with, is within the material creation. First, in the way that he manifests as Karnadakshai Vishnu, as the way that he enters into as Garbhodakshai Vishnu, and as the way that he's completely spread throughout any universe as Kashirodakshai Vishnu, the indwelling Antaryami, the, the, the super soul. Next verse, qualified and un, meditation and unqualified Brahman. So the people that worship Bhagavan, they're free of all the gunas. And they acquire what? The same characteristic as Narayan or Bhagavan. In other words, they're not influenced at all by the modes of material nature. That does not mean that Paramatma is. As we explained last week, and it's worth repeating when we look to the Paramatma feature of the Supreme, it's just like looking to the feature of a king. And the feature, the qualities, the powers of a kingly reign that are displayed in his court are different from the powers, the full picture of everything the king can do. We, when we look to the Paramatma feature, the eminent, the all-encompassing Paramatma within the material cosmos, it's the same supreme absolute truth, but he appears to be limited. He appears to be limited, just like the king in his court appears to be limited to dealing with matters of state and and making pronouncements and leading his army and writing new laws. But there's more to the king than just that. 
All right, now the third verse is talking about Brahman. Kama Vayasita is the city that's highlighted here. Supreme bliss whereby one becomes free from all desires. Brahmananda, the bliss of Brahman. Brahman Sayuja. So there's no variety in Brahman. So the yogi that aspires for this, he loses all sense of duality. So there's no desire for the Brahman realized yogi because there's no distinction. And if there's no distinction, there's nothing to desire. So he's, that's, that's the city he attains. And if we look at all three of the cities that are being highlighted here, the attainment of the city is in correspondence to the display of the Istadev that they aspire to. Brahman, Paramatma, or Bhagavan. No variety in Brahman. Yogi loses all sense of duality of enjoyer and enjoyed. No desires to be fulfilled. And he lacks a, a, the higher completion in, that's available in Paramatma and Bhagavan. He finishes up in discussing these cities by again highlighting the, the position of the, of the devotee. In doing that, he brings out the fact that if we look at Bhagavan, then we look to, again, we go back to the definition of Bhagavan, Bhagavan, and the six characteristics of Bhagavan. We'll go back to the Vishnu, Vishnu Purana, to that verse which actually defines Bhagavan. Aishvarya is Bhagavan's feature by which everything exists under his control. So when we, when we hear this verse, Aishvarya Samagrasya Viryasya Yashyasashriya Janavairagya Yosh Chapi Sanambhaga Itingana. The definition of this verse. Aishvarya is Bhagavan's feature by which everything exists under his control. And we explained that Srila Prabhupada, I see Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada, when he looked to explain to his students the six qualities of the Supreme Absolute, personal feature of the Absolute, uh, wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, and renunciation. So this Aishvarya the technical definition is shelter, right? All, all the, he's the supreme shelter. And he's the shelter of all these other, all the qualities. They are actually intrinsic in him. There's no difference between him and these qualities. That's the distinction between the supreme absolute and ourselves when we're embodied in material nature. Aishvarya is Bhagavan's feature by which everything exists under his control. The qualifier, Samagrasya, in their totality. So when we talk of these six characteristics, Bhagavan has them totally. It's not like he has 99.99% and the rest is spread out everywhere else. He has all of them in totality. 
the qualifier samagrasya in their totality is to be applied to all six of these attributes, the other five being virya, inconceivable influence, is found in gems and minerals. Yasas, fame, due to the all-beneficent qualities of speech, mind, and body. Shri, prosperity of all kinds. And Gyan, omniscience. And Vairagya, absence of attachment to all material products and phenomena. The word Ingana means designation. Controlling potency, inconceivable power, fame, wealth, knowledge, and absence of attachment in their totality are the six opulences, Bhaga, indicative of Bhagavan. And in discussing his devotees in the 11th canto to Uddhava, Lord Krishna says in regards to the cities or the attainments of a devotee, what perfection could possibly be difficult to achieve? Basically what Krishna is saying there is whatever his devotee desires, he can have. There's nothing outside, nothing within the realm of his being that he's not willing to bestow upon his devotee. So when we look to the cities, the devotees have no desire for cities. None whatsoever. But they could have whatever they wanted. Therefore, where do they ultimately attain? A land where everything gives them anything that they want. Mm -hmm. the, the, the ground is Chintamani. The trees are Kalpavriksha. The cows are Kamadehu. Yeah. So, wherever you go in that realm, everything is acquired that you may want for your service. Because a devotee wants nothing but service. But he can have everything. The next Anocheta, sixth Anocheta, which is very extensive, talks about the eligibility of the spiritual aspirant for Brahman realization. What do you have to do to realize Brahman? So Jiva Goswami is going to break it down. You want to, re you want to have that revelation to realize that you are that supreme Brahman. Let's look and see how you can attain that. Let me help you along. This is actually from Jiva's writing. It's sixth Anocheta. We will now offer further elaboration and exposition of the Vedanti verse, which will continue through the completion of Paramatma Sandarbha. So, as I said, we're looking at two Sandarbhas, the Bhagavat Sandarbha and the Paramatma Sandarbha, to explain what? One half of a sloka from the Bhagavatam. The full sloka being the Vedanti First, Vedanti tat tat va vidas tat vam yaj janam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti subjite. Now the jnana advayam 
section of the verse, the first half was explained in the second half of the Tatvas and Dharma about the non, that the Supreme Absolute is non-dual consciousness. Now, the second half of the verse is now going to be explained in two Sandharvas, the Bhagavat and the Paramatma Sandharva. So when anybody says, well, what's in the, what's in the Bhagavat and the Paramatma Sandharva? You can, you can answer fully. Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavad Iti Subjate is explained there. Well, I know what that means. Okay. <laughs> Do you fully know what it means? And that's what these Sandharvas are about. Fully knowing what these different aspects of Krishna are. We, we have our desire and our aspiration to become Krishna's devotee, but Krishna's a lot. And these aspects of him, a deeper understanding of them, they just deepen our appreciation and our affection. They don't diminish it, that we're not being sidetracked here into thinking of Brahman and Paramatma and being pulled away from Krishna. No, we know because we have a perfect teacher. And our perfect teacher is coming from what school? The school of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Gaudiya, Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya. That's the position of Jiva Goswami. So he's going to explain, if they weren't important to the bhakti, do you think Jiva would take this much trouble to write over 200 specific explanations in two Sandharvas, the Bhagavat and the Paramatma, there's over 200 Anachetas in these two, to take that much trouble to explain these aspects of God if it wasn't important to the Bhakta? No, there's some significance there. He says, I'm going to give you a little further elaboration here. Exposition of the Vedanta verse, and I'm going to go. On. This is just we're just getting started. I'll know, won't be done until I'm done with the with the uh, the Paramatma Sandarbha. So buckle up and let's uh, pay attention. He goes on. According to the specific qualifications and dispositions of the spiritual aspirant, the absolute truth reveals himself in a specific way. Krishna talks about that in Bhagavad Gita. All of them as they approach me, I reciprocate accordingly. To elucidate this principle, Sri Brahmaji describes the characteristics of a person eligible to realize Brahman in his prayers to Bhagavan. Now, the praman from the Bhagavatam that Jiva Goswami is going to use to give us a description of the requirements for someone who wants to realize the Brahman aspect of the Supreme Absolute Truth, Krishna. So this is from Brahma's prayers to Krishna after he tried his mystic opulences on God. And after he realized, he came to the conclusion, people may 
think they know Krishna, the supreme absolute truth, and something about him, I can conclude that I don't know anything about him. In his prayers, he says, O unlimited Lord, you have no attributes, and so your glory deserves to be perceived by pure-hearted selves. This perception arises from the immutable experience of or establishment in the self. Being formless, this glory, Brahman, can be known through awareness of non-distinction from it and not otherwise. Now this Anacheta is it gives us an insight into what is the mentality of the spiritual aspirant, the transcendentalist, who wants this Brahman realization more than anything else. That's all they aspire to. In the end of this shloka, what Brahma is saying is those people that want to know Brahman they know Brahman by, by real revelation, epiphany, realization that they come to an awareness that there is no distinction between their selves and that self, Brahman, that consciousness. Twam Padartha. Or we've also heard what? Tat twam asi. I am that. There's a footnote. What does this mean? Twam padartha. What does this mean? This you principle. You. 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 Me, me, me. Srila <laughs> Jivapad is referring to the Vedantic discourse surrounding the Ma. You are that. Here the you principle is the individual self. The tad pradartha. That principle is Brahman. Realizing the essence of one is here said to the be key to understanding the other. Now this has come up before in the Sandarbhas, at the end of the Tattva Sandarbha, that to understand the absolute truth, we can look inward and we can look outward and we can take direct direction from transcendental sound. We'll take it anywhere we can get it. We want to be self-realized. So if it helps us to look to our own, the nature of our own being, we're going to look there. If it helps us to look to the cosmos and how the cosmos is created, then we're going to look there. And if we can here, from authorized, from authorities, we're going to take it there also. Understanding that you are pure consciousness is, is key. It, it's very important. This tatwamasi, you are that. You are, in your essence, pure consciousness. You're not all the impositions that your mind takes on. You are pure consciousness. There is no difference from the purity of your pure consciousness and the supreme absolute pure, except size. So 
that's significant. Then Jiva Goswami proceeds to put up objections. Brahma is saying that you can realize Brahman simply by realizing that you are Brahman, Tatvamasi. You are pure consciousness. That is your essence. So Jiva puts up arguments, opposition. First one, well, how can a material mind perceive the pure self? If we look at the way the mind functions, the mind only functions by whatever it perceives becomes an impression upon the mind. How can you realize spiritual reality by having an outside impression coming on the self? And Brahma goes on in his explanation, and we're not going to go into every verse of this section of the 14th chapter, but he goes on to say that the experience that the self has is immutable. It's beyond the mutations of the gunas of material nature. So that revelation of Brahman, of the pure self, is coming not from the standard course of pratyaksha, perception, where what? Where there is an impression made upon the mind of the living entities from a sense object. So the true perception that's being spoken of here of the self as pure atma, pure, pure consciousness, is beyond the mental logic that's used in dealing with matters, well, in dealing with matter. Let's just leave it there. So it's beyond the range of mental and egoic modification. Don't think that it's like any other material vritti or impression upon the mind. The realization of Brahman is not like that. So it requires a certain level of purity on the part of the practitioner to be able to turn off all the static of material interference and actually perceive the truth, your true spiritual self. And now I'm just going to kind of go to the core of the Anucheda and what really brings about, because Jiva takes us there by again putting up some other Purvapaksha, some other dialogue here regarding, well, it can't be that, and then Jiva Jiva, first of all, comes up with the, well, it can't be that, because that would make it material, that would make it subject, that would make it like the modes of material nature. So it can't even be acquired through through sattva. So gyan, gyan, which is what? Which is the highest level of, of knowledge available in the mode of purity, sattva gun, is also not the methodology used for Brahman realization. So what is the methodology? So the mind's free of all modifications caused by attachment to gross and subtle bodies. 
then the pure self manifests itself. Well, how does that happen? What actually is transpiring? So you've turned off, you become a gyani, you've learned that the material nature is, there's nothing in it for you there. So you quit divesting yourself, any of your energies, any of your, you just, you just quit, you just withdraw. You enter into, we're talking about entering into samadhi. All of the practice of the bhakti is to what? Is to enter into samadhi, continuous remembrance of Krishna. But devotees still function in the world, so it's it's a walking samadhi. Sukadev also had walking samadhi and realized himself as a pure living entity. So he was he walked away from home. He was full in himself. He recognized, and he would be what we would call Brahman realized. He was that supreme. Tatwamasi, I am that. I am pure consciousness. I have nothing to do with the world. But this experience of oneness of, with Brahman is not the result of one's own efforts, but as a result of the grace of God, who has been worshipped by devotion, sadhana bhakti. Now that's really going to... Now we're going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Because... What? They're performing sadhana bhakti to, to realize Brahman? Well, first, we have to make a distinction between the approach of the Brahmavadi and the approach of the Mayavadi. Because the Mayavadi is not engaging in any sadhana bhakti. So he's not a true Brahmavadi. So therefore, the whole school of Sankaracharya falls into, into chaos because they're not basing their whole approach to self-realization. They're not brace, basing it on the Veda as purely presented there. They're taking some Sankaracharya's viewpoint and what did he do? I think this means that. And I think that means this. And when you read this, then this is what it means, because that's what I say. That's Sankaracharya's approach. His own interpretation to the Veda, that we call Mayavadi. Here we're talking about Brahmavadi. And for the Brahmavadi, they follow the course of activities, of sadhana, that result in the attainment of Brahman realization. Now the verse right after the Vedanti Tat verse, Vedanti Tat Tat Vidas, the next verse in the second chapter of the first canto, therefore the wise, faithful sages see the absolute truth as Brahman, Paramatma, or Bhagavan within the self through devotion coupled with knowledge and detachment acquired through the faculty of hearing. In the place in the Bhagavatam where these three approaches, the very next verse in the Bhagavatam by Sutta is this verse. There has to be devotion in revelation to attain these revelations, whether it be Brahma, Brahmati, Paramatmati, or Bhagavaniti.
This is also there in the eighth canto. Again, Jiva Goswami using the Bhagavatam to support his position. You will also know my glory, which is celebrated as Parabrahman, for it will be thoroughly revealed to you within your heart, both as a result of your own profound inquiry and through my favor. So this is much as speaking to King Satyavrata. My favor. You inquire sincerely, and I'll tell you, it's that simple. I'll let you know. If you have such an inquiry, I'll make all the arrangements to answer all your questions. I will come in the form of a guru. I will come myself. I will present Shastra. I will speak it into the heart of Brahma, who will broadcast it throughout every universe that comes from the pores of my body. If you are sincere to know, I will make all arrangements so that you can know, and then I will inspire you to have the revelation of that knowledge. So because the Atma is infinitesimal and limited, it's a mere atomic fraction, Anu, very difficult to know the omnipresent Brahman. How can the infinitesimal contemplate Brahman? It's so... Well, it's everything. It's immeasurable. Infinitesimal measuring the immeasurable. Very difficult without unalloyed devotion. Unalloyed devotion makes the impossible possible. This is a revolutionary idea that Srila <laughs> Jiva Goswami is presenting here. Revolutionary in the fact that you're telling somebody that wants to recognize the unqualified absolute, that that can only be done through engagement in bhakti yoga. It's revolutionary, and why it's referred to as revolutionary, it's revolutionary at the time. The whole approach at that time was primarily for those that wanted Brahman realization was gyan or astanga yoga. Their approach, it was not one of bhakti. But Jiva is saying, based on the Bhagavatam, I'm giving you here knowledge of how you could attain Brahman, and it's not by gyan. And it's not by vairagya. It's by bhakti. Now we come to a very interesting verse, which I'll end with this evening. First is to understand that the experience of the Brahman aspirant, that he attains from his devotional service, which is the means by which he acquires the qualification through sadhana to realize Brahman, is... Uh, considered by Srila Rupa Goswami in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu as Ratya Bas. It's a shadow of real bhava. A shadow of praying. My dear Uddhava, the causeless devotion rendered to me by my devotees brings me under their control. 
I cannot be thus controlled by those engaged in yoga discipline, Sankhya philosophy, pious work, Vedic study, austerity, or renunciation. Primary word being devotee. Mamcha yobhya bitrena bhakti yogena sevati sagunan samititaitan brahmabhuyayat kalpate. A person who serves me alone through unswavering devotion completely transcends these gunas of nature and becomes qualified to realize Brahman. So now we come to a key verse from the third canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam where what's really going on in the aspiration of the Brahmavadi. How do they do it? Because they're engaging in bhakti. So there's a verse from the third canto that explains it. By practicing meditation, the yogi gradually develops love for Sri Hari. His heart melts due to love and the hairs on his body stand erect due to excessive joy. He constantly bathed in a stream of tears caused by eagerness. At this stage, the yogi withdraws his mind, which he used to attract God, just as a hook is used to catch fish from the object of meditation. This explains what's happening, how the Brahma body moves forward in his revelation of Brahman from the practice of bhakti, which is the requirement for his realization. He actually has love for Krishna. He has love for Krishna. What kind of love, according to Rupa Goswami? Abbas. Rati Abbas. It's not real love. He has another objective. He wants to merge into the Supreme. So this verse speaks. He's using his mind. He's practicing sadhana bhakti, following the regulations, with what objective? He's baited a hook to catch Krishna to use him for another objective. So therefore, you can't contact Krishna through devotion without experiencing Krishna. So your hairs are going to stand on end. Tears are going to flow. You're going to be overwhelmed with transcendent ecstasy. And then you're going to release that. You're going to release that to attain your goal of Brahman. Vishwanath Chakravarti's Thakur's commentary to this verse is extremely heavy. You can imagine his... He, like you, is also, how can you do this? But we, when we find on the other side of the equation some Brahmavadis who have attained Brahman, become perfect, like Sukadev, like the Kumaras, when they smell the fragrance from the feet of Krishna, the Tulsi, 
But when they hear some verses of the qualities of Krishna, they immediately go the other way. It all is dependent upon your aspiration. Krishna fulfills your desires. But it's important for us in looking at this anacheta understand the distinction between the followers of Sankaracharyas and these other transcendentalists who properly follow the prescriptions of the Vedas and engage in sadhana with the objective of Brahmananda. So I'll end there. Any questions? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know. It just blows my mind that they would. So they're okay. So sh- let's say um, you take Shukadev Goswami. So he. I guess in a previous life, followed this prescription. Yes. This formula. So he must have heard about Krishna doing his sadhana. Yes. So his objective at that time was to reach. Um, he had Brahmananda it. Yes. Realization. So why would it, why would his objective change? Vyasadeva wanted to bless him with bhakti. So therefore he sent his students out to, you chant these verses. I want to bring him to bhakti. He's my son. It's the least I can do for him. There's your explanation. The desire of the bhakta. And with the four kumaras, I guess it was the desire of Vishnu himself. Krishna's devotees were cursed by them. But that was still they looked they that was to them that was a blessing. We wanted to fight with Krishna and you're facilitating our service. So they received the blessing of Krishna's devotee because they facilitated through their curse that service. Mm-hmm. What do they say? God works in mysterious ways. And also they appreciated the relationship that Vishnu had with his... But specifically, what grabbed them was the the smell. The The smell, that scent of pure devotion. Anything else? So, um, Jiva Goswami obviously wants us to appreciate a relationship with Krishna when he spends, you know, these 200 verses, and, and we always talk about Brahman realization, Parma realization, we go over and over and over and over and over again. Is it mainly just because, like Ramaraj says, we talk 80% about what it isn't, and 20% about what it is, just so that we can get... Yes, if we can actually learn about... If we can learn everything about Krishna, you know, especially as far as why why would you want to have Krishna as opposed to only having the revolution revelation of his impersonal aspect. We cringe at the thought. Are we cringing because of 
deep-rooted sambandagyan? Or were you cringing because our, de- our, our, our guru cringes? Just following the guru, that's good. But having a true understanding of why he cringes, then that really is super good. Right. So right. that gives us the strength to, to carry on in our sadhana, this deep sambandagyan, and to understand when we approach the Bhagavatam, which is Krishna in his literary form, what are all these verses saying? That's what I recognize now. I've only begun to study these Sandarbhas. Is when I read verses now, I go, wow, I never knew that was what they were talking about. Or when I see how Jiva Goswami is pulling these meanings out of verses that, oh, I just thought that was a nice leela. I didn't realize that those prayers carried that much significance. How deep these prayers go. That's the deep understanding that allows us to enter into the mysteries of the Bhagavatam. So we have this this Shastra Yukti. We have this revelation. Everything we read becomes more and more of a revelation because we understand more and more deeply these basic concepts which we take for granted. Jiva's saying, no, we're not going to take... I'm going to pound these in until there's no question of you having any misconception regarding what is worship of Brahman, what is worship of Paramatma, and what is worship of Bhagavan, and why Bhagavan is the best. And then he's going to go on, after he's completed explaining this verse, he's going to give us another Sandarbha just on Krishna. Mm -hmm. All this is preliminary. All those four Sandarbhas take us up to the point of Sadhana And then he's going to give us a, sun, a Sandarbha based on how to do it right. Which is going to reinforce Srila Rupa Goswami's Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. And then, this is how you love. Preeti Sandarbha. Yes? I had an ordinary example. Like, say you have your neighbor and they see you at home with your family mowing your lawn and washing your windows and stuff. So they have a certain relationship with you. But if they find out that like you own your own company and you're an important man, you know, like outside in the world, then when they learn those different aspects about you, then when they see you at home washing your windows or mowing your lawn, it makes you even more awesome because you know, it's like more charming because you don't have to be ordinary mm-hmm. because you're like some big thing somewhere else, but you are ordinary. Mm-hmm. So you become more, even more charming. So when we learn more about Krishna's powers yeah. and what he is to other people, then when we're at home with him, he's like even that much more charming because he could be so many other things. With the whole universe in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> well, this good. That goes with the Gurmaraj always says, you know, if you really get into the Aishwarya, you'll start to come out the other side of the stage. Well, it'll start to get uh, Madhurya at some point. Or if you really get into the Madhurya at some point, 
mm-hmm. you'll experience the Aishwarya again. <laughs> Anything else? Thank you so much for your association. Thank you. Thank you.